The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And as we relax, receive, and allow the softening, whatever can be softened, taking time to receive whatever's coming up. Sometimes part of the day we've had so far is registering in body, heart, and mind, and simply allowing it and being aware of it. No need to be concerned if the mind occasionally drifts off. When we come back to awareness, we're aware. That's great. And what are we aware of? This meditation can become whatever it needs to be for where you are today. Simply allowing awareness to do its work of receiving experience, allowing experience. So above all, that's most important. What are you aware of now? And if it's useful for you today, in this meditation, you could notice what's arising in respect to if it supports you, allowing the mind awareness and freedom. You might also notice if, for some reason, what's arising is not so helpful. 
in which case you don't have to pursue it. You can simply be aware and not add fuel. Returning the mind to the present moment. What am I aware of now? Receiving, allowing, and perhaps enjoying what is supportive. Receiving, allowing, and not feeling anything that is not so helpful. However often it's useful to come back to relax, receive, and allow experience, even if that's hundreds of times. It's useful. May it support you in this meditation.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to see you all. So I'm delighted to be able to fill in for Mario Len today. Um, she's still coming back from being away. And um, so um, I, I've been practicing with several of you for many years and uh, practicing with Andrea for many of the last 18 years of my practice. Um, one of the things I've really appreciated um, in witnessing in the years uh, of study with her was going on retreat uh, at IMS uh, that was taught by Sayada Utejaniya, her teacher, and she supported that retreat. Um, and by observing Sayada, I got a really interesting sense of how he uses energy wisely in his practice. I, I watched him sit in a very comfortable, relaxed way on a couch placed in the front of the meditation hall. And he'd give really economical morning instructions. It felt like just a few brief paragraphs, but it was enough. I'd pass him frequently when I was walking on the roads nearby. And I'd see him not doing walking meditation, but practicing mindfulness while walking. So all of this, you know, gave me this impression or this visceral sense of his instruction that if you're getting tired while meditating, you're not doing it right. You're doing, you're doing too much. So this has been useful to me because I'm someone who has a lot to learn about overworking <laughs> and over-efforting in practice. And I've had to gradually over the years dial it back, dial the effort back, dial it back, dial it back. And I seem to be enrolled in the lifetime course <laughs> on how uh, on learning wise energy. So I thought it might be interesting to explore this factor of energy today. Um, it's one of these 10 virtues called the paramis that can be developed in our practice. And it, we can develop them actively, but they can also unfold on their own over time through just our devoted sitting practice and regular practice in daily life. And, and to work with energy is to find this balance between lots of things, but between mindfulness and investigation. Um, between discerning what leads in the direction of suffering, more suffering, and what leads in the direction of freedom from it. So what's helpful to consider when we think about energy is uh, these practices of right effort or wise effort. The Buddha was said to have found it useful to notice whether his mental experiences were unwholesome or wholesome. So just those simple two divisions. And the way that is described in the Eightfold Path teachings is in actually four steps, two each for unwholesome and wholesome. So the two for unwholesome are abandoning unskillful states and preventing the arising of unskillful states. And then the other two for working with what is wholesome are cultivating skillful states and maintaining skillful states. Um, Gil, Franz Dahl simplified them into something like the following, which offer a really memorable alternative to follow in meditation and daily life. He says, one, don't make it worse. Two, if you're making it worse, stop. 
Three, make it better. Four, if you're making it better, keep doing it. So I love that. Um, mindfulness itself does a lot of the work as experience arises and is witnessed as we relax, receive, and allow experience to be seen again and again. It shows us over time what's unwholesome. And when we see it, when we explore that with curiosity and see it clearly, it starts to weaken its grip on us because we become aware it's causing or creating more suffering for us. Um, I'll use the word suffering today to represent the whole range um, of everything from subtle dissatisfaction to stress to suffering. That whole gamut, dukkha, I'll call suffering. So when we clearly know what's happening in our experience, sometimes choice opens up to stop doing the unwholesome and and to see wholesome choices that are uh, not going to create suffering. Ajahn Suchito puts it this way. Energy has, a f- again, fourfold application. First, to put aside what you feel is unhelpful. Secondly, to keep guarding the mind against such unskillful influences. Then thirdly, to establish what you sense is good. And lastly, to support and encourage those skillful influences. So whichever the four that you like to follow, we're following a kind of natural progression in this practice repeatedly. So first, we become aware of what's making experience worse. So we can start to guard the mind or watch for unwholesome influences. So, you know, what are some examples of what's unwholesome? Um, three big categories that you've heard of, I think, before. Where we're caught up in greed or attachment to things. Where we react with ill will or aversion towards things. And where we're influenced by harmfulness or cruelty. So we can explore each of those as it affects our energy. Each each of these areas has a big effect. So what's called greed or attachment to things, people, situations, really, I was thinking the other day, it really starts pretty innocently. You know, it's natural for us to pursue what we think will result in fulfillment. Um, Even, you know, it's natural to enjoy sense pleasures. But that can roll into craving or even addiction. It's natural for us to prefer to be comfortable. But I noticed that can roll into intolerance for discomfort. So I've learned a lot about that as I've aged. That, you know, not all discomfort can be taken care of with physical therapy. <laughs> you know, there's a certain amount that you just have to tolerate. And it's not going to kill you. Um, most of us want to make enough money to support a living. And yet that can roll into wanting more and more. Um, we each probably wish to be respected by other people. Um, but that can roll into preoccupation with status or position, even power. Our natural wishes to do something well can roll into being driven, you know, overworking, um, craving praise for our efforts. And then, of course, we have natural desires about other people, 
we're social beings. We want to be accepted socially. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. And it can roll into kind of insistent ideas about who or how we want other people to be in relation to us, um, even attempting to control the outcome, control how things go in our relationships. So, you know, in short, we become addicted to having what we want and not having what we don't want. So this is one of the ways we use our energy unwisely towards unwholesome ends. It makes me feel tired even talking about it. <laughs> so it, it, the second category of how we can use our energy unwisely is with ill will or aversion. You know, we can harbor angry, irritable, hostile, or resentful thoughts that incline the mind in the direction of ill will. Um, I, I noticed that this can often have its origin in views about oneself and about others and about the world. So some examples, I need to get what I want. Or I notice this one a lot in workplaces. My way of doing it is the right way to do it. Um, sometimes people even hold the idea win at all costs. So you can see there's just a, a lot of views here that could incline us towards the tendency to react to others when they don't you know, go with our program in heated ways. So, I mean, there, and it can be really simple. It could be a view as simple as, oh my gosh, I have a lot to do. And that creates a level of irritability that emerges in behaviors like racing to take a lane on the highway ahead of someone else or speeding when you drive. Hostile emotions can also be about our relationship to the world. Um, it can happen in reaction to our experience of injustice or in our reactivity towards groups of people or politicians with whom we radically disagree. So if you want a challenge today, watch what happens inside yourself as you watch the election results and see, you know, where there might be some rolling into ill will. Of course, we care about issues and it's important to care it's important to participate but just watching that edge where it rolls into suffering um, aversive reactions can also underlie our suffering like you know trying to arrange our life so we get rid of what we don't like avoiding interaction with people we find difficult that kind of thing or avoiding avoiding situations that we don't care for so this is the second category of how we burn our energy unwisely. This third category of cruel, aggressive, or destructive tendencies, you know, often those words sound awfully strong for what most practitioners are like. But how about, um, you know, when we feel ourselves hardening our hearts a little about something we find difficult, or we, this avoidance of people can even turn into just you know, shunning people that uh, don't work for us um, or wanting, sometimes there's even a wanting to see people suffer for what we see as their harmful actions. So again, shading into suffering or how about ignoring the suffering around us? It's awfully easy to leave it to others to shoulder the burdens that fall more heavily on some people in this society. Um, and just focusing on our own life 
it's easy it can happen to ignore the misery in the world around us so can we recognize the cruelty and the suffering in that frame of mind um this is a another unwholesome direction our use of our life energy can take but sooner or later with this mindfulness practice we can start to experience the unfortunate consequences in these three areas um, where unwholesome thought, speech, or behavior come up. So this brings us to the second of these four uh, wise efforts. We decide, stop making it worse, or we learn to put aside what's unhelpful. So when we start to address problems that result from greed, for example, we find it's impossible to break craving through willpower. It may work a few times, it may work for a while, but eventually it breaks down because the mind is too habituated to grasping, to having its go-to methods of, you know, temporary happiness gained through sense pleasure or methods we use for self-soothing through sense pleasure or through our attachments to certain things. Um, and as we look more deeply over time, we see we might be using these attachments and sense pleasures to address a subtle discontent or deal with, deal with, um, pain, strain, exhaustion. So this, you know, drives a lot of people to video games and Netflix. They, they feel like they, they're going to feel good. But a lot of people have told me over the years that that actually exhausted them more. And they, you know, it took them a while to figure it out. The longer we practice, the more we see a cyclical nature of craving and being attached in unhealthy ways. And it results in frustration, disappointment, and it even can cycle again and again into a despair. But then craving starts up again in this bizarre delusion that the same old pattern will soothe us or bring us happiness this time. So maybe some of you a few years ago saw uh, the animated movie B movie B the B E E and at one, there's one scene where the bee runs into glass again and again and goes this time this time this time trying to get through the glass we're a lot like that you know we could get into these cycles where we think somehow we forget that it's not going to work and we do it again <laughs> so but as we we begin to move towards um different sources of deeper happiness, we can embrace uh, greater peace. So one way greed is eroded is through the practice of generosity, giving to others. It can also be eroded through thought substitution, you know, driving out an unwholesome inclination of mind with one that's more wholesome. And a great example of this is the Brahma Vihara practices, the practice of loving kindness, the practice of compassion, the practice of sympathetic joy, and the practice of equanimity, but especially the heartstone of that is loving kindness practice or metta practice. And IMC has a great evening, you know, weekday evening, six to seven happy hour that can help you cultivate that. So in this way, we stop making things worse. We put aside what's unhelpful and we start to use our energy in wholesome ways. Um, as we start to recognize unwholesome tendencies towards aversion or ill will, we try various solutions. So this is a second arena. 
sometimes people start by thinking the best thing is to express their emotions verbally or through bodily action. You know, I need to get this out. And it may offer a temporary relief of tension. But it can also poison our relationships if it's venting and if it's not done with skill. But on the other hand, repressing these difficult uh, emotions of ill will doesn't work. It results in low self-esteem, chronic depression, or even sudden outbursts. Um, so we tr- then, of course, we turn to problem solving, whatever triggered the ill will. That works to a, up to a point. You know, there's a lot of problem sol- solving that's very skillful. But then if we, if we start thinking a lot about problem solving, it can become rumination that just keeps us stirred up. Um, of course, it's so amazing that tackling ill will, sometimes it's really productive to identify and fulfill unmet needs for sleep, rest, exercise, you know, and just basics of self-care can really quell some of these habits of reactivity towards others. Some For some people, it's giving up caffeine, um, you know, eating a healthy diet. And then we can look below that to uproot habits of reactivity. Um, we can look below hostile emotions to identify thwarted desires that are playing themselves out. And we can arrive at the need to mindfully recognize anger and aversion, just seeing them again and again, the way we do in this practice. We relax, we receive, and we allow, and we see, ah, there's some anger there. There's some aversion there. And, you know, sometimes we only catch it after we've been angry or aversive, like a day later or an hour later, like, oh, wow, that was aversion. Um, But if we do that mindfully enough, pretty soon it's, we, or after a while, depends, after a while, we can start to become mindful during a bout of anger or aversion, like, oh, catching ourselves, oops, my husband and I had this way uh, early in our marriage that we would just set the reset button. We joked, you know, if we started to quibble a little, we'd go, can we just reset? And we, you know, press the reset button and laugh, and we were able to do it. We're like, yeah, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. We're just going to reset. So that's becoming aware during, you know, some aversive event. Eventually, we become able to notice before. We can feel the tension arise in our body or feel the kinds of, like the first thought that kind of tends into ill will um, and not let that train leave the station. And we come on this powerful antidote called loving kindness. Um, even extending loving kindness to ourselves, starting there, that of course we want uh, good qualities, our good intentions to be seen. We want to be treated well. And uh, we want our common humanity recognized. And sometimes we need to do that with ourselves first. Um, and underneath all of our defenses, there's this beautiful place where we can develop loving kindness for ourselves and purify our hearts of the poisons towards ourselves and towards others that is you know comes up in aversion we get to see how being harsh towards ourselves becomes being harsh towards others um so you know working loving kindness into our daily practice 
can help us to develop fewer judgments and tend towards freedom as we see our common desires for health, security, happiness. So these are really wiser uses of our energy than practicing aversion and ill will. So we, we start to move towards harmlessness. We start to move towards compassion, the wish for ourselves and others to be free from suffering. We start to see how many people's lives have really rough conditions, um, how society sometimes has reinforced the misery. We start to see we are all subject to sickness, old age, and death. We can even see that someone who's achieved success through immoral means is probably plagued by pretty bad internal problems, maybe a high level of insecurity, you know, and things like that. We see, we can see how repressed pangs of conscience and fear can be projected out as hatred towards other groups of people. Um, sometimes, uh, in some people, there's some, seems to be some fear that when others protest against injustice or assert their rights, that somehow that's going to threaten one's own comfortable existence. And what's held on too tightly is mine, what I earned through my merit, you know, hard work, deserving, etc., often ignores the fact that we've had good fortune, you know, maybe kind parenting, maybe sufficient material well-being, good education, maybe access to good health care, access to employment. So with all these things and the rising of compassion, um, this drives out old, aggressive, or uh, harmful thoughts. And this is a wholesome use of energy to stop making it worse and put aside what's unhelpful. Ajahn Suchito points out that it's important to strengthen investigation into what attracts you and why. How much energy will be required and how that will serve or not serve your greater goals in life. So with all of these things, he suggests we center on um, this and study it carefully because he says, you know, too often we're attracted to what we're attracted to spending our energy on is driven by emotions and it's driven by self-image or, you know, uh, wanting to shore up some kind of self-identification. So if we study all of that really carefully, we can be careful about our assumptions, the assumptions we buy into or go along with. So, um, you know, he points out we often allow ourselves to be kept overly busy climbing a mountain we didn't choose consciously enough in the name of success or because of societal or familial pressures. Um, but we can re-examine all of that. And this virtue of energy is wise effort in the face of old, unhelpful conditioning. You know, we gradually discover how to bring awareness back that can give us choice instead of drifting into old conditioned habits. Um, we learn balance. And he, he makes this fundamental point which I'm going to say more than once because I was, I, this is so powerful. It's fundamental to notice where your attention is going because that's where your energy follows. So where your attention is going, your energy will follow. That's huge. 
if you notice something coming up in your mind, that's going to cause your energy to go down that channel if you keep thinking that way. And that's the value of sorting between the unwholesome and the wholesome. So now we're free for to go to step three of the four steps of right effort. We choose to make it better. We establish what we sense is good. So as we come we become better able to viscerally know what's causing our suffering, we can move instead towards letting go of attachments, craving, ill will, you know, cruelty, releasing harmful thoughts, speech, and behavior, and suffering starts to fall away. We start to think, speak, and act with intentions of generosity, kindness, and compassion. We continue, we go to step four, we continue to cultivate better states. We support and encourage skillful influences. The more we see wholesomeness in sitting meditation and daily life, the more wholesome states arise and the more afflictions fall away and stay away. We keep making it better. So what provides this foundation for practice of using energy well is really examining what are our goals, what's our ultimate purpose, and having faith, and the word faith in the sense that there's something worth devoting our energy to. What injects life into our existence? What do we value? What's our highest aspiration? So if we keep a sense of this and begin, you know, the meditation of the day with a sense of that uh, coming from inside instead of following other scripts or programs or shoulds. This provides a foundation for using our energy and following the four uh, wise efforts. So, you know, whatever the best of our intentions are for this, we can commit to them We can place our heart on them, and it really shapes our practice. Um, By the way, whatever intention it is, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be permanent. Our intentions evolve over our lifetime. Um, But knowing as best you can what your aspiration is at this point in your life, and for many of us, I'm sure there are aspirations that are common in Buddhist practice towards the end of suffering or various manifestations of that, this can steady us uh, and provide us with this inner compass in our practice. So energy (laughs) can open our hearts and minds towards these aspirations. It can allow for curiosity, being able to see where our assumptions, impulses, and conditioning are unwholesome and where they are wholesome and we can find our way through that process Um, instead of fueling old conditioning we can move towards the end of suffering and it leads to confidence and confidence leads to a sustainable quality of energy rather than swinging between you know kind of excitement or using our energy in unwise ways and then kind of collapsing or being without energy. So I hope that in uh, those comments, there was some uh, support or inspiration for you.
And now we have uh, a little over 15 minutes uh, for comments, questions, anything that you'd like to, to share or talk about. And feel free, there's a small enough group of us, feel free to either raise your hand physically or just unmute yourself and share what you'd like to share. Yes, Audrey. You were referring to this stage where you are aware of the, for example, in my case, the anger coming up, you know, and feeling the sensations. And um, so we have at this point a choice. (laughs) We may have a choice. (laughs) I don't have a choice. It's so overwhelming. And, you know, the anger is so strong and really physically very painful that I can just let it, you know, burst out. And so I don't know. I'm still struggling a lot with at this stage of my practice. So, yes. And I, I want to acknowledge that it's really a powerful force. So this is why uh, patience and hanging in there with mindfulness and just seeing it feeling it in the body again and again. Sometimes we have to see something for a long time. Um, and then choice may open up. So um, I will say, for me, craving ha- has taken so many years, so, so many years to start to really, oh, Okay, this is the cycle. I can step out of it. And anger is so powerful, powerful physically, it's powerful emotionally, that we we need time to see it. We need time to be curious about it. Like sometimes it's about something we need that hasn't been met or, you know, what do we need that's not here right now? Where's the anger coming from? So it's it's mindfulness and it's also curiosity and investigating over a period of time. It can also be helpful to have some physical uh, practices. So if I feel myself tightening up, if I can notice that early, you know, if it gets really strong, we're most of us are gone, we're de- or are already angry. But if I can feel it starting to rise. Sometimes I can just go, oh, wow, anger, you know, like, this is anger. And if I feed it more fuel, it's going to get worse. So, you know, that's why I say look for those first angry thoughts. So it's like, how dare they say that to me? Like, I am, that is the worst thing I have ever heard. I cannot believe that they are doing that. You know, maybe you can watch in the mind how that is a little bit like, you pour more and more gasoline on the fire because, and it happens really fast. So I'm just going to, you know, say, hang in there, keep being curious about it. Keep, you know, watching the body, try to see what those early thoughts are or early impulse, like, you know, whatever that sounds like, whatever that sounds like in your mind. But be be kind to yourself about this because this, like craving, anger is a powerful force. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I have the feeling that craving is um, is so 
No, maybe this anger is worse because it's um, more hurtful to other people. And, you know, when you are, it's often when I am in, um, I am talking to someone that <laughs> about a complicated topic and that's the anger is coming up. And because craving, I, I don't feel it's as painful as, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, we may each have our own layer cake and which which is the topmost layer because, you know, I I can appreciate that right now for you, anger is very strong. And some maybe craving is only an internal thing. For some people, craving becomes great harm to other people. You know, they get completely, uh, maybe they get... uh, stuck in alcoholism and I've, I've watched people succumb to that again and again and get in accidents and, you know, crash their car and then suffer financial consequences, lose their job. So, you know, for them, the top of that layer cake is craving is just ridiculous. And for some people, it may be that kind of cruelty or kind of harshness towards other people. So, you know, we, we struggle and we're all humans. So probably we've encountered a little bit of all of these if we've lived any length of time at all. So anyway, I, I hope that my comments were a little bit helpful. Yes, very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Other experiences, questions, comments, Fred, please. Hi. Hi everybody. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was a really interesting perspective on on um, dukkha, on being with, you know, especially on election day, or or just being in a rainy day here where I'm at. Um, it's not, you know, I'd rather be. I'm supposed to be out there playing pickleball right now, and it's not. <laughs> oh. it's, it's not possible because it's raining. Mm-hmm. But there's that's just an example of thousands of times a day where things aren't the way I want them to be or, and, uh, and so that, you know, just trying to be in, with non-contention with this, to accept things as they are, have the energy for that. I hadn't really sort of thought of it from that perspective um, because uh, it's exhausting, you know, uh, you know, you turn to your suffering and be with your suffering and you just sort of, instead of avoiding it or bypassing it or being aversive to it, having the energy to stay there with it and be with it. And like, wow, this is whatever it is, like anger, or like Audrey's talking about, or, or just like, no, my views and opinions are right and these people are wrong and and just letting go of that somehow. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's very helpful and very timely. So thank you. You're welcome. And I, this is where I really... I admire and I'm still working with Ajahn, uh, I mean, uh, Sayada Utejaniya's instruction, like, if you're getting tired, you're working too hard at it, or you're, you're not doing it right. I'm like, okay, dial it back. Like, what is the mindfulness that can be aware of suffering that doesn't get worn out by it? That's quite, you know, it, it just watching him, I was seeing like, yeah. okay, you know, it's not that suffering isn't happening. It's not that the mind isn't noticing things. It's that it's not, you know, just working so hard on it. Um, and so I'm, I'm still working with that one. I think it's kind of interesting. You know, yeah, what, yeah. what is it like to go to a retreat, be there all day long, every day for weeks and not get tired? Yeah. Right. 
Right. No, thank you. Very timely topic. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. And part of what attracted me to energy too, uh, this topic of energy is I currently have a very low level of energy. You know, working through some medical stuff that is leaving me like really tired all the time. So I'm like, okay, what's the minimum? You know, how do I, how do I make it through this period of like, there's not a whole lot of fire there or, you know, it's really, really low. And I, I've heard people talk about how they practice mindfulness while they're sick. That's pretty amazing too. Uh, you know, that's quite a skill. But we can. We can do that. Jan. You you said something that intrigued me. I think you said repressed conscience and fear become hate. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Repressed did I hear that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, uh, pangs of conscience. Yes. So that you know, if we, if there's some guilt, and this is something people really have to watch right now, if you go towards guilt for social conditions, it actually isn't helpful. You know, it can, and and also fear. I've I've just watched people. Um, who occupy different kinds of positions, political positions than I do right now, some of whom I know really well, friends. And I've watched how, you know, they take a stand on, well, I earned all this stuff. I deserve all this stuff. And people who are complaining like this, they didn't earn it. They're, you know, they're coming from a place of um, weakness or entitlement. And I, I just looked at that and I'm like, wow, this is turning the you know, I earned it into fear and then projecting that out as hatred uh, towards other groups or taking conscience like maybe people can feel guilt about being comfortable or, you know, not being subjected to some of the violence or misery or not um, having problems like they have people have around the world with starvation, little, you know, no, not enough water, drought, you know, while our, our culture is using up those things. But, it, but if we go towards guilt, uh, instead of just seeing it and, you know, being with that in a kind of broken heart, it can harden people. So I, that's kind of what I meant. Does that, help elaborate a little more on that yeah okay seems to be a whole uh cultural issue that we have right now you know can people respond to one another without fear guilt shame Anger, hatred, it's rough. It's rough. Hi, Nina. 
It's so nice to, to be here with you. I, uh, I enjoyed um, the support of the group. I am just thinking about my own psychology and how I, I do uh, have this really conditioned responses to, to guilt and shame. And uh, I'll, um, you know, I, I'll just share an example of how it shows up. I was in a class yesterday in a Zoom class for nurses. It's actually really, um, really nice. This uh, theorist, Jean Watson, is integrating mindfulness in the lineage of uh, Tignahan. She came up with a theory to apply to nursing care. Wow. So how can the nurse become a healer that exhibits all these mindfulness qualities as the nurse comes into the patient's room? And it's a really beautiful uh, uh, theory. And it's a, um, it's a class. And so we were talking about a sharing of where do you find joy? And I shared um, my deepest joy. It has been found in seven days, 10 days, three week meditation retreats. It was in the most unexpected place where I found it. And somehow, at the end of that share and afterwards in the day, I was feeling guilt. It was almost as if I shared something that could have been like a show off or something. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, it was just like, that's just an example. And maybe there was a part of me that felt like that is such a private information. Like I, like a part of me said that is, is private and, and almost, uh, something that is sacred and not to be shared or, you know, easily, um, I was, and so I just wonder, I had a, another moment yesterday where a friend of mine was asking me about this class and I wanted to say in uh, a nurse to find sacredness in a, just a very simple act like washing somebody's body while they're in the hospital but I couldn't bring myself to say that <laughs> yeah yeah because it felt I I didn't yes sacredness like it felt like I was going to be sharing something that was so deeply personal like it was not okay so it um there is that and I know like having stuff like call it what it is ego you know so uh, these are just some kind of like simple like examples where I'm seeing shame and um, and guilt show up in my psychology. Yeah. I, I wonder, what did you make of that? Uh, yeah, and so I, I wouldn't be, uh, I, 
I would be inclined to hold it with incredible kindness and compassion because what you're talking about really is precious and really is sacred. And sometimes we can feel a little exposed or vulnerable because not everybody might understand. You know, other practitioners are really in a good position to understand that sacredness and that um, uh, incredible open-heartedness of how washing someone's body could be sacred or how a retreat could be could bring such amazing joy like you know most people say you did what you were quiet for three weeks and you know you didn't but it it really is precious so there's this part of us that can just by watching other people's reactions can sometimes see that we need to hold something precious or sacred you know quietly because they're not ready for it. But you never know. Don't be hard on yourself because you also never know who in that room might have gone, Oh, cause I did. I know I did that. Maybe others did that early before you came to practice. Maybe it was one person saying this one thing and you were like, wait a minute. That sounds really intriguing. I wonder if that could help me. So you might have been a, you know, very positive influence and to recognize the shame or the guilt that came up, sometimes we've been conditioned, really strongly conditioned, that if we anything good happens to us, we have to hide that light because other people might, you know, that somehow it's not okay to have had something good. And I don't know whether that applies to you, but yeah. I just want to acknowledge that sometimes that's true for us. We've been taught if we you know, say anything positive, it's going to make other people who don't have that angry or it's going to bring, it's going to bring some, something, but, you know, I'd, I'd say you hold this, you know, preciousness or this really great joy and great sacredness um, with a great deal of kindness, as well as your experience yesterday, you know, be as kind as you can to yourself. Cause you might've been like, the person who said just the thing that turned somebody's life around in that moment. You don't know. We never know. We never know. Yeah. 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 I, I think uh, you brought a couple of things that really made sense for me and resonate that, that, yeah, um, that maybe under a certain community, I would have no problem saying, um, it's it's about in many ways bringing the sacred into just very simple ordinary tasks in in that there is a community that i know would understand that and um and and yeah so so it does it does make sense and they they um they addressing it with that i think eventually how it it quieted down I just said hey hey Nena you're you're really kind of feeling um, guilty and scared here I guess of how this group is going to see you I think it, it eventually quieted no, okay so that's that's what you okay the, wow yeah so that's what you meant by ego like we do we also do have these things that come up where we're like oh what are people going to think of me you know, so yeah. uh, it's great that recognizing it helps settle it. Like, oh, hey, it's just, you know, that. 
naming it. So thank you so much for sharing that because that's really, it touches me. It's really beautiful what you've shared. And I want to thank all of you so much for sharing this time today. It's been delightful. And uh, I wish everybody a uh, a great election day in terms of being able to just watch in a kind sort of energy, watch what arises in ourselves and hold it gently and, you know, separate the unwholesome from the wholesome as best we can uh, and and stay well or be well in heart, body, and mind. So if you want to unmute and say bye to everybody and thank you, have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Good to see you, Fred.